is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you never seen it. Sports cards live and nothing could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, what is up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 207 of Sports Cars Live. It is Saturday night, December the 9th, 2023, and my name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who tuned in last time with our guest, Mark Hill, of my card post. You can catch that and all old episodes on the channel. Next Saturday, our guest is a hobbyist by the name of Eitan Shapiro, but you may know him on Instagram as the Sports Card Cartel. He'll be joining us next Saturday. Tomorrow on the channel, Josh Madigan of the Hockey Cards Gong Show joins me for our weekly PWCC Hockey Auction Ending Watch Party Show. And Monday night, Michael Hathaway of MC Sports Cards joins me for MC Mondays Live. Two very fun, educational and lots of action on those shows. Please join us tomorrow and Monday. I'd like to ask you to please join close to half a million people who've downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps and card management features. Their app is the fastest and most accurate at card shows or at home to help you price your cards, build, organize, share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using the social sharing features. Marketplace features are coming soon. So check out their Instagram account and help me in in encouraging and supporting the great team they have there and the innovation they are undertaking. Also, use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to a million dollars in value is fully insured by their guarantee. Check them out on iOS and Android. They are now live in Canada. We'll be opening up a Canadian hub soon. They're offering $50 in free trade credit to anybody who adds 10 hockey cards to their account, there is a referral link in the video description below. I want to shout out my friends at HobbyNewsDaily.com. Check them out for a constant stream of hobby content. And you can now buy and sell tag-graded cards on ComC and join tags, tag gradings, Discord and Discord server and Facebook group. Links to both are at taggrading.com. Tags new, tag X $12 grading service is a game changer. And Pokemon and other rounded corner TCGs are now available for grading. As always, I'd like to thank our partners, sponsors, and of course, loyal viewers and listeners for your ongoing support. If you're not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel or the podcast, please take a moment and do so. And with that, we're going to get on with the show. Usually at this point, I introduce the guest, but we don't have a guest tonight. This is a solo show. Just Jeremy. That's me. And we're going we're gonna to get to it. I got a few things to talk about. And I want to first say hello to We've got Tyson's Card Corner. What's going on, Tyson? Welcome. Jake Dahl is always here. Mike Double V, good to see you. Orlando, welcome. The Melting Wax Podcast, everybody. That is Dennis Zender, my Taking Stock co-host. Check out his new YouTube channel, Melting Wax Podcast. Frank Estella's here. Sylvan Lashwine, what's going on? 90s hockey collector, Daniel, 86 collectibles. Welcome to the show. Jeff Hart. Vintage card collector, Barry Ma. What's going on, Barry? Good to see you, buddy. Dan's Vintage is here. Cholo Dolo is here. What's going on, Travis? Welcome to the show. Willie T, good to see you as well. 
All right, so what are we going to start with? Rob Sonier, welcome. I thought we'd start today with Terry Fortune says freestyles are always good. So yeah, we'll freestyle. I do have a couple of things that have been sort of top of mind for me lately. And it's not like uh, nothing controversial, I don't think. But one of the things that I was having this conversation, I've had it a couple of times over the last couple of years, but you know, like RPAs, for an example, rookie patch autos are often, the patches are often not game worn, right? We, we recognize that. We understand that it's the way it is. They are often uh, photo shoot or event used or, you know, not associated with anything that we know, any anything in particular. And uh, so I went and I kind of went through a bunch of cards starting in the late 90s, right through till 2023. And I read the backs of a bunch of them just to see how the descriptions on the back have evolved over the last, what, 25 years, I guess. And I also think to myself, so first of all, there's that, there's that piece that we can take a look at a few, we can take a look at a few of those. But I also think to myself, you know, RPAs in general are kind of like the, the cream of the crop, right? They are kind of the, uh, the grail rookie card for a rookie any given year, whether it's the National Treasures RPA, the Exquisite RPA, the Cup RPA, those are the cards that everybody, I won't say everybody, those are the cards that people who can afford those cards really want to get. And very few of them contain game-used memorabilia. And when when Jersey cards first came out in 1996, you know, the hobby went crazy. Just a Jersey, just a napkin patch, as we call it now, or a napkin swatch. The hobby went crazy for those things, and they were very hard to pull. I still go crazy for them. I still think they're so cool because they're the first ones that ever came out. Now the jersey card is an afterthought for the most part, right? They're barely hits, but but back in the day, it was game used, and the back of the card would some backs of cards went as far as to tell you, you know, what exact jersey was from. I found a card today that showed a picture of the jersey that the swatch on the card was from as well. I think it was a baseball card. And I thought that's unbelievable. Like that's that's what I would love to see today. So I bring this all up because there's so much value that we, the hobby, assign to cards with patches that are not associated with anything in particular. Are they associated with the player on the front of the card? Maybe. I mean, it's very vague these days on the back. It just says that, you know, often it just says the enclosed material is not associated with any, any event, any season, um, and it doesn't even reference the player. So, and it doesn't even mention the player in many cases. So I don't know what to make of that. And I just think it's very, um, it's just, it's very vague and it's, and it's risk. It's, it's kind of risky because what are we actually getting? Do we know what we're getting? I don't think we know what we're getting in a lot of cases. I don't even know if the card companies know what we're getting. Some of them. So what I like to do personally. So first of all, I stopped collecting RPAs years ago because of the fake patch epidemic. That was a big one for me. You know, I was, uh, I was a, an advocate against that for many years in the in the like mid to late 2000s and then i just thought you know what there's too many of these going around i'm just going to pivot and start collecting other rookie cards of players so so i did and now you know i'm i'm kind of fake patches you know it's kind of like trimmed cards in slabs we've all probably got a couple of them if you have if you have any amount of these things you may or may not 
you may have, you know, a couple that are of that that are that are that are you know fake patches, trim cards, that sort of thing. I know I have two fake patches in my collection. And I keep them. I'm I'm, I'm never going to move them. Of course, I'll keep them. But where my head goes with this is, first of all, why do we assign so much value to these things? Like for example, LeBron James, exquisite RPA, big card in the hobby, one of the biggest. Not game used. Photo shoot. He wore it in a photo shoot. That's something, right? At least he wore it. But so he puts it on, they take some pictures and he takes it off. Is that is that good enough for a card to be worth anywhere from, you know, recently maybe 200 grand up to $2 million? Is that is that good enough that he wore it for maybe half an hour, maybe an hour? They took some pictures and he took it off. For me, it's not good enough. Not, not even close. I, I like my memorabilia to be game worn. The memorabilia in my cards. I'm only talking about cards. This is not about full jerseys or anything like that. This is about only the memorabilia embedded in the cards that we all collect. So for me, what I've sort of, I don't know, I haven't completely pivoted to this, but where my mind goes is that, listen, I'm not, people have been asking me, what are you going to collect for Connor Bedard? Well, I'm not a Young Guns guy, so I'm not going to bother with the Young Guns. I like Future Watch Autos, but I don't necessarily feel like I need to own a Connor Bedard rookie card. I don't need his rookie card. I'm not saying you don't. People love rookie cards in this hobby. I know that. I mean, but for me, I like auto patches. I also like rare inserts. So I might go with a rare insert or two. Probably nothing that would earn the official RC designation, but I love the RY designation, the rookie year. Probably pick up a few of those eventually. But what I'm really looking forward to and excited about are his second year auto patches from things like the Cup and SP Authentic limited auto patches. That's what I'm going to wait for because those will be autographed those will most likely be game worn at least that's what the back of the card will say we never know how can you know for sure unless you follow the path of these things but i'm going to take the card company's word for it on the back you know upper deck in in his second year that there will be game used memorabilia on his second year cup cards uh sp authentics and i see the comments coming in everybody i will get to those very soon i promise i just want to kind of get through these my, my this mash full of uh of thoughts going through my mind on this topic but that's where that's where i'm at i don't need a rookie year auto patch most people do and that's why the cost is so high on them that's why they go for so much money i'm gonna pass i'm gonna leave that to all of you guys everybody else i'm gonna wait for the second year because not only is it gonna be way cheaper but it's also going to be game used. So a limited logos or an honorable numbers or a signature materials, whatever it might be, a limited auto patch from SP Authentic. I'll want it to be on card auto. We'll talk about the different you know stickers versus on cards shortly, but that's where I'm at. And yeah, like I just don't understand the value. So here, let me share the screen. I'm going to go through a few things that I just found when I was preparing. All right, so let's start. Let's start with... This here, 96, uh, 97 Upper Deck Game jersey, Tony Gwynn. I, I wasn't really too too keen on what player. But if you read right in this area, it says, a piece of the action, an authentic game-worn jersey. This is the first ever. This hockey, basketball, uh, baseball, football. They all had these. I think basketball, no, basketball maybe came out the next year or this year, but they look different. In any event, it says right here on the front of this card is an authentic piece of game-worn jersey from an official 1996 Major League Baseball game. It, this swatch is from a jersey worn by Tony Gwynn. Like, how much? That's what I want. 
That's what I want to see on cards today. An official, a, look at this, a 1996 Major League game. Game worn by Tony Gwynn. Okay, so this is perfect. This is what, and then it says it again down here, an authentic piece of game worn jersey. So this is kind of, to me, the ideal. This is kind of me, the ideal. Let's keep on going, see what we have, what, what next I found. Okay, here's a basketball card, 98.99, Carl Malone. And this one, how do we make this bigger? This one says on the front of this card is an authentic piece of game-worn jersey from a jersey worn by Carl Malone. We hope you enjoy it. Well, that's pretty good too. A jersey worn by Carl Malone. Okay. Next up, we have a 1999, so now we're a couple years later, game jersey series baseball card. Darren Erstad. On the front of this card is an authentic piece of game-worn jersey worn by Darren Erstad in an official Major League Baseball game. We hope you enjoy so really good. Doesn't tell you the year, but it tells you Major League Baseball game worn by the player on the front of the card. It's important to me that the back of the card tells me who the player was, not just that the card is that player's card. I want them to deliberately tell us that the game, the jersey was worn by the player who was all, also happens to be the subject matter of the card. All right, let's go forward about five years now. Here is a Donruss Elite 2003 Hideo Nomo throwback threads. Turn this one over. Now oh, look at this. This this is amazing. The enclosed piece of jersey was cut from an authentic jersey, personally worn by Hideo Nomo in an official Major League Baseball game, and was obtained and is guaranteed by Donruss. And then it says right here in this little little uh, text, it says this is a photo of the actual jersey from which the swatch was taken. So that is above and beyond. Like I don't know if the companies have the controls in place to track this anymore but back then uh donruss did and to me this is this is even better than what we saw in 96 97 they're showing you a picture of it i talked to upper deck about this years ago they said this is very difficult to do because they take you know they have different memorabilia sources for each player and they all go into a bin and then they don't really track which jersey it came from but to me 93 Donruss Elite throwback threads. That's the ultimate. That's the ultimate documentation, uh, you know, certification of what that is. And again, we are assuming that this is all true, which is a, another issue for another day. I don't want to get into that because we just don't know. All right. Oh, three. And these, I think these are mostly in chronological order. Oh, three, oh, four. Exquisite Michael Jordan. Let's have a look at the back of this one. This one says, it's really blurry. On the front of this card is an authentic piece of patch from a jersey worn by Michael Jordan in an NBA game. All right, so pretty good. Worn by Jordan in an official NBA game. To me, that's good enough. That meets that meets my standard right there. This one, so this is 0506 The Cup, Ryan Getzlaff. And this one... This is photo shoot. It says right there, an authentic piece of patch from a jersey worn by Ryan Getzoff in a photo shoot. So 2005, the cup, first year of cup. This is where they start to go with the photo shoots. And I do believe that from this year, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, and one other player, Miko Koivu, are game worn, which is pretty cool for those three of what, 80 rookie cards. Here's a Chris Paul. Chris Paul, SP Authentic. And we'll just do a few more of these guys. And then we'll skip to the, the real modern stuff. 
But this one is a photo shoot again, 2005 photo shoot. So how do you guys feel about photo shoot jersey pieces? For me, I'm not interested. I don't know that I have a single non-game-worn memorabilia card in my collection anymore. I don't know that I'll ever have one again. And listen, there is something to be said for the fact that, you know, what they're doing is they're using the real estate on the card. We've got, what, eight and a quarter square inches of real estate to fill up with design elements, whether it's foil or photo or, you know, memorabilia, manufactured patches. By using these these photo shoot patches, they're simply adding, and it is nice. They are nice. You know, it allows you to differentiate between the, the different ones. Some have one color, two, three, four, five colors, whatever, you know, depending on the jersey, the team. So that's, it's a design element. That's why I don't have anything against manufactured patches that are completely not supposed to be a knockoff of an, of an actual jersey. I have nothing against a manufactured patch. It's a, de- it's a design element. If you don't like them, don't collect them. But to me, uh, that's not something that's really in the same discussion as what we're here talking about now. So, all right. I'll, I'm going to skip forward now to uh, some of the more modern stuff, which I found a lot of it here on PWCC. What I did is I went to PWCC and I went to, I sorted by, um, I went to their historical sales and I I searched, what's my search was rookie patch auto. And I sorted by, um, sorted by highest price. And right away, these four cards at their highest price cards ever sold, none of them are game worn. They're all photo shoot. All of these are photo shoot. I think all those are photo shoot, photo shoot. All the most expensive cards are not game worn. And I might be wrong about some of these. So, you know, please do, do your own study yourself until you get to flawless, until you get to flawless, like the third most expensive Panini product, I think behind national treasures and immaculate, but flawless has game worn. So let's have a look at some of these quickly. Luca NTRPA. Luca NTRPA is and this is these ones they right here the enclosed player worn material so now i don't know if they wore it in a photo shoot i don't know if they wore it on on the court i don't know if he wore it for literally put it on take it off put it on take it off i don't know that tells me nothing it also doesn't tell me what player wore it i think that's an issue doesn't tell me who the player was there's nothing on this card that tells you that the enclosed member player worn material was player worn by the player on the card. To me, that's a problem. That's a problem for me. Okay. Next up is the immaculate Luca immaculate. Let's have a look at this one. The enclosed player worn material. Okay. Immaculate, very expensive product, you know, beautiful product. Don't get me wrong. And then you've got flawless Luca card, a flawless Luca. Let's turn this one over. And this one says the enclosed game-worn material and autograph are guaranteed by Panini. So it's game-worn. But listen, the word game-worn, that could mean it was game-worn by an employee of Panini at a a pickup game. That's game-worn. It doesn't tell me it was NBA game-worn. It doesn't tell me it was game-worn by Luka Doncic. It just says game-worn. And we tend to associate that with good, that being good. I want to know who wore that who wore who wore that piece of memorabilia and I don't know why they don't tell us this. 
And you know that they used to tell us this. The card companies used to tell us this and they don't tell us this anymore, which tells me that they just don't know. Tells me that they don't know. It's very, it's a liability issue. And it's one that I'm certainly not comfortable putting my hard-earned money into. Here's the Luca NT. This is the, the one that sold for $3.12 million. And just to be certain, this one, the enclosed player-worn material. What player and where did he wear it? What player and where did he wear it? Or she wear it? Not good enough for this collector here. Maybe it's good enough for you guys. And that's fine. Here's a LeBron. Just to show you the back of the LeBron, the, you know, the most expensive RPA. Uh, photo shoot. Worn at a photo shoot. Okay. Buy LeBron James. Well, that's better than this player-worn stuff. Buy LeBron James at a photo shoot. I'm good with that. At least I know what it is. At least they're telling us what it is in that case. Still not something for my collection, but here's a very expensive card, one of the most expensive sales of a card ever. The enclosed player-worn material. Again, no association between the material and the player on the card, but it's player-worn. Are we supposed to assume that they mean the player on the card? I think we are, but... <laughs> then why don't they tell us that? Why don't they tell us? And here's flawless. Here's the flawless. I think we talked about this one in close. Game-worn material. All right. Let's. What else did I bring up here? And then after these two, here's the cross. Piece of patch from a jersey worn by Sidney Crosby in an official NHL game. That's great. That is good enough for me right there. That's all I need to see on the back of my memorabilia cards. And then a 09 exquisite Michael Jordan flashback. Great card. Great card right here. I think this says this very similar to that last uh to the last uh Crosby card. Certified to us as having been used in an official NBA game and the autograph was signed in the presence. So official NBA game. That's good enough for me. I don't care what you know by Michael Jordan. I don't care if it's an all-star game as long as it's an official NBA game and he wore it. That's good enough for me. Okay, so my plan, the way I collect now, no RPAs for me, unless maybe it's the right player and it says game-worn in an NHL game by that player. If they don't tell me who the player is in the disclaimer, in the cert- in, this, in, in the like COA on the back of the card, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to own it. I'm not going to collect it. That's why I like second-year, third-year, fourth-year RPAs. For me, the second-year Auto patch game worn is better than the rookie year. We don't know what we put on this card personally, but the hobby loves to dump money into this mysterious stuff. And um, that's all that's on everybody. It's buy what you like, I guess. Buy what you like. All right. I'm going to go to comments. See what you guys think of all this. Fellow, what's going on, Jeremy? Fellow five ball, Mike Petty. Let's start with breaks and Xmas rack packs. We recognize they are often fake. Rippin, what's up, Chris? Good to see you, buddy. Welcome to the show. Hobby Champs says, getting uh, having some drinks at the holiday party. Enjoy your holiday party. Mike Petty says they are associated with fake jerseys from China for me. Yeah, that just might be it. That, that, I mean, I don't know. I don't think you're... Listen, <laughs> that that's plausible. The, 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 the disclaimers on the back don't say they're not from... China. So they might be. Mike says we're getting screwed. That's what they are getting. Maybe, maybe. But listen, I'm not going to say what they are because I don't know. I don't know what they are exactly. I just know what they are not telling me they are. And what they're not telling me they are is what I want. Therefore, I'm not going to buy them. What's up, curmudgeon? Good to see you. 
Diamond Dog says the worst part about them is even if they are just meaningless cuts, at least they could the least they could do is make it complement the design of the card. Nothing worse than a napkin patch, a one color. Yeah, I mean, true, but they do have to use the whole jersey. So that that to me, I get it, but it's also part of it. It's just part of it. Uh, Chris says, I want game used. Yeah, same here. Diamond Dog, if not gamer player worn, make the cut compliment the cart. Uh, same comment. Uh, Chris says, what about Babe Ruth 100K? The check sells for 8 to 10. You're talking about a full jersey, I think, or a full uniform maybe. I'm not sure what you're talking about there, Chris, exactly. Tampa says, I've gone game worn or nothing. Me too, me too. Travis says, good points. Premier mega patches and supreme patches are a few of the only game use produced these days. Yeah, in hockey, uh, that's right. Upper Deck Premier, Upper Deck SP Game Used. Those are game worn. Like, those are awesome. And they sell for cheap. They sell for cheap. Well, some of them do. Those, to me, are like, that's 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 good stuff. It's game worn. So much better than non-game worn. Diamond Dog says, if the card is low print and the patch complements the design, it can be authenticity pleasing if the yeah that's that's what i'm talking about and that's what i said before they're a design element at that point but that's all they are to me it's the same thing as adding foil to a card or adding some graphic or some 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 like uh scope stock pattern or something it's just a design element of that pat at that point nothing more nothing more it, it's yeah no, nothing more to me, yes, Chris. Upper Deck did it right in the 90s. Mike Petty says, Tony Gwynn, no more, uh, no more worse, no more war than the Fred Gwynn. Sorry, I don't understand that, Mike Petty. Diamond Dog says, I love the tops track. Some of them, I pulled the 101 Alex Bregman for the QR code. Tells me what games he wore. See, that's perfect. That's awesome. Rob Gardner, I'm totally with you about game use memorabilia and cards. Any rationale why game use basketball is worth insanely more than football or hockey is game worn football and hockey a bargain i think it's just that the basketball market is um is its own beast uh that's really all i can say to that bleeding blue says the fact that upper deck has a product called sp game used when hardly any of the enclosed materials has actually been game used is criminal well i don't know if it's yeah is it criminal hi Leighton. i see Leighton in the back we'll bring you out in a second is it criminal i don't know if it's criminal but it's i guess it is misleading bleeding blue i can agree that it is misleading there is game use stuff in there, but there is stuff that is not. That, that's for sure. And yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that either. Adam Crawford says 96 game jersey cards are awesome. I can't believe how cheap they are in hockey. No doubt. I got that set. I'm glad I do. And I think it's amazing. Hockey Cardboard says, what year and set had the first jersey card? 96. 96 upper deck did hockey cardboard. 96 upper deck. Tampa says the absolute worst is not from any specific game event or season right it doesn't even tell you it's from a player like it's that to me is um that to me is like like we are suckers we are suckers buying that stuff to me travis says uh in, talking about sp game use borderline false advertising yeah i can't disagree with that the mascot dodgeball pieces are insulting well it is something it is Mike Nanya, game used or nothing. Diamond Dog, exactly why the napkins are the absolute worst of all version. Hey, I prefer a game-worn napkin patch to a non-game-worn patch, personally. I want game used. To me, game used is cool. Those things were on the ice and in the game. Jake Dahl, I only get game-worn, game used. Adam Crawford, the RPA at a 99 brand is so important in the hobby 
that it actually doesn't bother me if they are game used or not. I prefer them to, to be, but it won't stop me from buying them. That's where, okay, so I have to speak to this for a second. Adam, I think that's going to change. I think over time, the hobby is going to realize that the RPA brand at a 99 isn't as important as we think it is today because the, the P in RPA is just a des- another design element. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I know that I'm not buying them anymore, so I'm not contributing to the importance of them. But other people are. Other people are for sure. Sean Red says, oh, 304 Arbidec Premier Extol was the first photo shoot card he ever saw. Tampa says people have been peeling the patches out of cards. Yes, patch faking has been a problem since the early 2000s, really, since the, like the, the uh, early 2000 SP Authentic football set, I think it was the first one I ever saw it happen to. Diamond Dog says if the patch isn't game-worn, it doesn't deserve a premium. I somewhat agree. Mike Petty says if you can't figure it out by now, this is a scam. You need to have your head examined. Oh, my God, people are just blithering morons. Well, there are, but you see there are people that, that, that don't care. Some people don't care. I think they will start to care more in time. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Tons more comments, but we're going to bring Leighton on. We're going to uh, see what he has. Let's bring him out. Let's, Leighton, what's going on, buddy? How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so I did have a guest lined up for tonight originally, everybody. And that guest let me know yesterday that they weren't able to make it. And so I just said, all right, you know what? We'll do a solo episode. And uh, so I don't have anybody coming with a question for you, but you've been here in the last little bit. You saw the topics that we were going to talk about. What came to mind for you on all this, Leighton? Well, you know, I mean, listen, I think to each their own. Uh, I think what's wonderful is if you feel like buying a patch card and it doesn't matter if it's from a game or not, I think that's great. If you think that you're a little bit more sophisticated and you've decided with your budget that you're going to only go for, you know, if you're going to buy patch cards, that you want to make sure that they're from a particular game or they're definitely from a season and they're definitely at the very least worn. Um, you know, I could see the argument for that as well. Um, I think the thing that was most interesting was talking about the different price points across the sports. For example, you were saying basketball is quote unquote a beast. I think that means that that's a wonderful opportunity. If like you're a baseball collector, I was just doing the lunch crew with Chris Gilmore earlier this week. And he was showing off like a Carlton Fisk, uh, you know, double. It was like a game used bat and it had a piece of Jersey, albeit not game used, but it was like maybe autographed. And it also had Carlton Fisk on a sticker. It was a $50 card, you know, basketball that might be 250 or 500, meaning that there's opportunities across these other sports, like not basketball that you can buy super cool cards, uh, you know, for a very reasonable budget. And uh, I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I, th- I think there is opportunity out there. Um, but, uh, you know, what What are your, like, for yourself, you've heard you've heard me talking and the comments. I said, I made the comment, I prefer a one-color white napkin game use patch to a three-color logo patch that is not, not associated with any particular player event, game, or season, or event. Uh, what, what, where do you fall on that? So in other words, the white, if you will, blank vanilla patch is actually from a game. And you're saying this multicolor patch would not be from a game. Yeah. Oh, it's very fun. I can answer that very quickly. This is, it would be a fun game show to do with you, Jeremy, or something like that. For five minutes, we just do this back and forth. No doubt in my mind, that would take the piece of history. And therefore, if you could tell by that, of course, I'm going to take the white piece of vanilla because you have a piece of history in your hands. 
be quite frank, and I don't want to disparage anyone who's collecting these multicolored patches that are not from a game, but if I really want, I can go to the store, like Dick's Sporting Goods. I can cut whatever you want. <laughs> I'm not that great with scissors, but I can put it on a piece of cardboard or, you know, a little index card for you. And uh, like I said, I, I think it's teach their own. And I, I know they put out some wonderful cards. But for me, being that I love vintage and I do love sports in general, as you saw before, I had the final on tonight of the NBA, uh, you know, interseason tournament. Um, I just want to have a piece of history. That's what I think. Me too. I want a piece of the game. I want a piece that was on the ice in a game. You know, then, okay, well, what about a warm-up? You There are there have been cards with warm-up pieces of memorabilia. To me, that's next. That's decent, but it's not game-worn. It, it doesn't count towards stats. That's all right. I want the game-worn personally. And, and so, yeah, that, that's where I fall. That's where I fall as well. Let's, let's Now I want to ask you this next one. We're going to skip ahead to the next topic. But we're going to come back to the last one again. Sticker autos versus on-card autos. Now, I've gotten to a point where I don't think I own a single sticker auto in my collection. Now, I understand why they do them. I get it. It just, it, it's, you know, it, it, it makes logistical sense why card companies do use sticker autographs. Some people don't care. Personally, I find it a real convenient place to draw the line and say, I'm only going to buy cards that have on card autos because then it just, a, it's like a money saving technique in a way. It's a, it's a, con, it's controlling my collection, a technique to control the size of it. So I don't need to add, I don't need to buy every single card of a player. I collect that every autograph, which I don't do anyway, but for me, I, it, it's an easy way to eliminate certain cards from my want list. Personally, where do you fall? Well, listen, I think what you're saying, Jeremy, and I think this is very healthy for collectors. I think this is very healthy collect, uh, very healthy for humans. You're setting a boundary. Yeah. And I think for me personally, I would fall where you fall in that, you know, for example, I collect and I collected them before they got super duper popular in the last couple of years, but I was collecting signed rookie cards. And then also like, you know, 57 tops basketball, 61 Fleer uh, and 69 tops basketball, you know, trying to do the sets, uh, you know, on card. And I couldn't imagine if someone said, hey, you know what? There was a blah, 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 leaf repack, and they put a sticker on a 69 tops basketball card. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? There's no way I would buy that. So there's your answer. Um, but I, I really like in general, to be fair, right now, I don't want to detract from this because I think it's a wonderful conversation. But I think the whole idea of setting a boundary as a collector is not only going to save you money, but it's actually going to keep you focused uh, and maybe even have a little bit more fun, right? Because there's so much stuff in the industry, no matter who you like. If you like Babe Ruth, if you like Tom Brady, if you like Kirby Puckett, it really doesn't matter who you like. You can buy just an endless supply of that particular person's cards, autographs, memorabilia. And at some point, when is enough enough? So setting boundaries, I think, is very healthy. Yeah, no, that, and it, yeah, it goes for you, you can set boundaries the way we're taught the two topics we've, we've addressed so far tonight and, and in many, many other ways as well, just to control because this hobby, you know, buying cards, having mail days, bidding on cards, uh, you know, it, buying it show it can be addictive. It is addictive for a lot of us. So having having some set boundaries, I think, is important. That's a whole other discussion. That could be a whole other sort of episode. But um, I, I definitely, I definitely hear hear you on on that. Um, 
2023, Layton, coming to an end here. Uh, you know, how do you feel the year went in the hobby overall? Uh, I would say it was like what my son now likes to do at the amusement park. It was like a roller coaster. <laughs> he loves roller coasters. At this point, you know, he's about to turn nine the day after Christmas. And he just enjoys the, you know, the action. And I think for me and many others, <clears throat> excuse me, who are collectors, who enjoy the hobby, who may even do this full-time or part-time, I think a little bit of action, a little bit of up and down is okay. I think there's been a little bit more for, than my liking, and I'm hoping that next year things just get a little bit more stable, whether it be through consolidation, whether it be through investment in technology across different platforms. You know, I like, for example, what Mascot's doing with card shows. I think that's super cool. So, you know, I'd like to get away from the the ups and downs, or at least the extreme ups and downs like you'd experience on, you know, one of these roller coasters that go, you know, the loops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now 2024, right around the corner, any thoughts on what we might see next year? It's a tough question because no one can see into the future, but what do you uh, what do you think? Are we going to continue on the roller coaster or are we going to, you think you're going to see a more stable hobby overall? Well, you know, I can't speak to modern as much because it's not really the space that I, I know. Um, but I do think that for whatever it's worth on that side of things with the whole fanatics and, you know, Panini situation, I think you're going to see a lot of product produced. So just be aware of a collector of that kind of material that there's going to be a massive amount of printing happening. So just be careful there. And then as far as prices, you know, whether it be vintage, whether it be a low pop modern card, I think that you're going to see some prices settle and that as cards come out that are really important, I think you're not going to see as big a swing, at least that's what I'm hoping, so that people are going to feel a little bit more comfortable with the cards that they own or for the cards that they're going to go out and acquire. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, it, we talk about, and the, the hobby talks about the market and just the hobby and the overall health of the hobby. You can't, you can't address the whole hobby in one statement. Like there are so many, the hobby is cut up into so many different segments. You know, you can't, vintage could go one way and modern can go the other way. And, and uh, you know, all of a sudden this past year, we saw vintage autograph cards, like hall of fame autograph cards just kind of, become all the rage for a lot of people a lot some people don't care there, there's lots of modern collectors that don't don't collect vintage cards there's vintage collector don't that don't vintage collectors that don't collect modern and a lot of the uh a lot of the commentary that i see on the hobby is based on the the biggest cards in the hobby and a lot of it is modern a lot of it is really modern stuff and but that's not what everybody collects you know the hobby doesn't only exist on let's say instagram it's, it's a lot bigger than just instagram so don't let uh, just what you see and hear on YouTube or on whatever social media platform that you spend most time on, don't let those narratives uh, kind of brainwash you into thinking that that's the way the whole hobby is. There's a lot of the hobby that you're not seeing on these platforms, I believe. I think it's just bigger than we think it is. So any sort of uh, statement you see out there that, you know, that uh, the, indi the indices are down. Well, the indices, you know, they only come, they're only comprised of 100 cards, let's say, or 30 or 50 or 250. How many cards have there been? <laughs> you know, billions by now. So it's, it's much, it's a much bigger, uh, much, it's a much bigger 
population than just uh, just the, the the most important cards. But they are they do provide some guidance. They do provide some guidance for sure. So, uh, okay, a couple of comments quick, Leighton. Before yeah, first of all, I just because we had someone where to go. Here it is. Uh, Dan's vintage. Just want to say hey, Leighton. So hey, Dan. Hey, there you go. There you go. And um, there was one other one I saw somewhere. It's I got too many comments to sort through right now, so I may not be able to. Oh, right here, Dan. Dan's vintage again. Here he says that uh, I thought it was going to be a buyer's market at my last big show, but the Philly show was no bargain for vintage. And you know we're hearing a lot about buyers paying 70, 80 percent of comps. Sellers of certain cards don't. Number one, they're not going to sell for 70, 80 percent of comps, and some people just don't care what comps are. And I've said it a hundred times, Leighton. If the whole market only transacted a comp, there'd be no movement. So comps are uh, are guiding. They're, 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 they're something to consider, but they're not the end-all be-all. That's for sure. That's for sure. Anything else you wanted to, uh, you got on, on your mind tonight? Yeah, well, listen, you mentioned a couple of things, uh, and I briefly wanted to say the first thing that came to mind is, you know, be cognizant or careful of hobby peer pressure. Right. So you're talking about this whole notion that if you see it on Instagram, if you see it on Facebook, well, that's what's going on, you know, in the entire hobby. And I can tell you firsthand from the Philly show, we were by, you know, exhibiting our booth. Uh, we were by several folks who were selling like 50 cent to ten dollar cards, very active booths. You know, I didn't pay attention as to, you know, did I see cash flying out where they trying to trade for them? But collectors were like you know happy to go through boxes and boxes of cards it could be ungraded it could be slabs uh, it, it seemed to me that it didn't really matter and what i'm trying to say is jeremy you're right you're not going to really see other than com c probably you know dollar cards two dollar cards transacted on instagram they don't get sold on facebook but if you think about it, those cards are going somewhere and as much as com c has like 30 million or 40 million cards there's actually a lot more so you're right. There's this whole, um, you know, group of folks that are collecting that, you know, make sure that they don't get left out of the discussion uh, because we are here on either YouTube or Instagram, whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, I just wanted to uh, to mention that. Yeah. I mean, listen, I over the past week, I've picked up like 20 cards on Com C for, you know, no more than 12 bucks. You know, filling in some, cool. some some cool insert sets that I was working on. You know, just that I real. Oh, you know what? Let me go. Let me go grab those now. You know, I got some money in my account, so um, and I'm probably not going to ever show those because they're 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 binder cards for me, which is that's just the way I organize them. Um, here's a question from Bobby Burrell. Leighton, how do you feel about the Babe Ruth, the 1914 Baltimore News, 7.2 million dollar sale? I have a great answer. <laughs> if I had 7.3 or 7.4 million, I'd own it. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't. but I don't. You know, I'd love to have bought it. Um, you know, I do think it's a great card. Uh, you know, people talked about the grade of it. Did that impact or did the, the price um, become impacted because it didn't look like a strong three? Let's be candid, right? If you're talking of $7 million, you want to own the card, I would imagine, because of the rarity. And to be fair, even if you don't think it's a strong three, it was still a great card in terms of the 10 or so that are in existence that are known. It is one of the better condition examples. Uh, so I think it was really healthy for the hobby. Uh, believe me, when I graduated Rutgers College in 2000, 
the notion that a 1914 Baltimore news roof would sell for $7.2 million 23 years later. Uh, it, was, it was probably not something I would believe. Uh, so I think it's really good for, you know, good for the hobby. Were you even aware of the card back then? Uh, I think I was. Yeah. Because I was like, I was a vintage nerd, but I didn't think I would, you know, ever be able to see one sold. It, it was really rare. It was almost like reading, you know, like a, a myth about Paul Bunyan. You know, like, is it is it a real? Is my yeah. point. Here's another question that came in to you from Chris C. This is a fun question. Layton, do you feel low-end vintage is still better to own than no vintage at all? I can't afford the five or six, the five or six fifties grades. So what do you think? Oh, sure. So, you know, just purely from at least what I see on the market, my recommendation for anyone that wants to buy, and like, I know we use these cards often for vintage breaks as like giveaways and bonuses. So I kind of know the price point and the grade, like a 68 Clemente and a four, a 64 Clemente and a, excuse me, a 64 Kofax and a four, meaning tops. These are cards that are about a hundred-ish dollars graded. And I would tell you that I've handled a lot of them. So if you're going to take your hard-earned money, and I totally respect your question, and I get it, and I have plenty of like amazing $100 cards in my collection, believe me, that I love and I wouldn't sell. Um, look for ones that are centered. Because my experience has shown me that literally prior to 77, 79, you know, I mean 1977, 1979. Any card that you want to buy that's a key vintage card, it really doesn't matter the grade. It's actually much more difficult to find centered than you think. So, for example, take a $100 vintage off-grade, meaning four-ish vintage star that's slabbed. I would even pay $120, $130, $140 for that same example, but if it was centered. Because my experience has shown me that it's much more difficult to find and if you decide to go resell, I can tell you firsthand, I've had people sell me their collections. If you compile, call it your top 100, your top 10, whatever the number is, and every single card is centered, I guarantee you a collector, a dealer such as myself, an investor, frankly, any auction house, there isn't going to be a single person that wouldn't want your collection. Meaning even though they're only $100 cards, there's plenty of auction houses that sell $100, $150 cards. So take the time, do your research, and try to buy the best example for that particular grade you can afford. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a great answer to, to, to Chris's question is, yes, it's still better to own it than to own low end than none at all. Because if we're if by low end, we're going by the grade on the slab, then find yourself a high end, low grade card, and you kind of beat the system that way. That's how That's how I would put it. I want to do one more question for you here. A follow-up to the Babe Ruth from Bobby who says, but not a, a Ruth rookie as professed. So what, it, I mean, I, I don't know, like 1914, as far as I know, that's his earliest card. The Oh, it is. Some people claim, Jerry, that it's not a card. It was issued in newspapers, meaning like it was never issued in a pack. You never had to buy a pack of cigarettes. You never had to buy a pack of cards. And I'm not going to argue one way or the other. Bobby is a fantastic wealth of hobby knowledge particularly in hockey, and it's an interesting philosophical discussion, but I'm just telling you that if I had the money and an unlimited funds, I would have been happy to have been the next bidder. I don't care what you call that card. Yeah. It, to me, it's a piece of history. Um, and so, you know, that's that's where I fall on that. Yeah, and to me, the rookie card rules, like the way the card was distributed, i.e. the star Jordan, those aren't as important to me now as they were when I, you know, in the in the late '80s, early '90s, when I was really into rookie cards, 
So to me, that is as good of as a, uh, as good as a rookie card would be. It, it, it to me, it me it, it checks the boxes for me nowadays. I don't care that some people don't say it's an RC. To me, if it's his oldest cardboard card, if it's if it's his oldest card on cardboard with a major league team. Um, to me, that's his Mind rookie card. To me, it's his rookie card, even though it didn't come out of a pack or anything. Just like the Star Jordan to me is now his rookie card. And the 86 Flair is his first Flair card. Just like the 52 Mantle isn't a rookie. I know it's a different case because both Man- both Tops and Bowman came out of packs. But it's uh, you're never we're never going to have consensus on all this stuff, really. So um, uh, Bobby says it, it's a schedule. I, yeah, it's a schedule on a card. So yep. To me, it's it's uh, it's still a card, but it is a schedule as well. Just like a lot, just like some cards were had advertisements on the back of them. Um, okay, lots of lots lots of stuff on lots. Of, we're going ton, tons of directions here, Leighton. Thanks for stopping by. Good to see you as always, and uh, we'll see you back here next week. Thanks, everybody. Take care, guys. Take care, Leighton. All right, everybody. I'm going to go back to the comments. I got a lot to get through here. So I'm just going to run through some of them. Tampa here said that National Treasures and Flaws are filled with non-game use patches now. NT and Flaws should be all game used or don't even make it. Yeah, but that's just not reasonable. Like, that's just not feasible for them. They just, they're not going to do that. So we have to get past that. I feel, Tampa, that that position is just kind of, you're, you're just as they say, peeing into the wind sort of thing. That's not going to change. Lapper, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Mike Nunya says that the Lebrano 304 Exquisite logo, limited logos is game used. Wonder why they couldn't use it for the RPA. Yeah, I don't I don't remember why, And uh, but you make a good point. Uh, Miss Strew says, when I got back into collecting, it took a while to learn that there was a difference between game-worn, player-worn, and not associated. Very important to read the back of these cards, for sure. For the amount of money they charge for the wax, these should all be game used. I don't agree with that. I'll tell you why. Because we don't, you know, there are a lot of costs that go into making these cards. And they have to make their margins and pay their rent and pay their staff. So I don't agree with that. But at the same time, I'm not going to buy the stuff that isn't. So, but I just understand in business that that is not a reasonable um, demand for us to make as a hobby. Doesn't mean we're not going to make it. But I just don't think that it's a, a reasonable one if you understood how the, you know, just the whole PL works for, for these products. What's up, Cage Lawyer Minion? Chris C says, Jeremy, do you think if we had mandatory print runs, we could actually prove we are indeed in the second junk wax era? Fanatics will have to print more to 10x the hobby. Very little from this era will hold value. Um I agree with the last part of that comment. And uh, I don't know because we don't know what the print runs were in the early 90s. So even if we know that they're making, you know, a million of each card now, what were they making in the early 90s? You know, 500,000, a million or 20 million? Um, I'm not sure. Tough question. A good one, but a tough one. Um, if I'm forced to give an answer, though, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's different now. Back then, it was like one set per year per company for the most part. Now it's like twenty, so it's just like we're we're, we're in a, a different era. It's, it's a different era. The junk wax era is its own. 
I think we're in the insert and parallel era. Um, back something, it's something different. Benny Cromwell, welcome to the show. Rage is here. What's going on, Rage? Good to see you. Happy to see you having fun with your daughter at your at her Girl Scouts. Willie T says, how about the mascot cards with game-used pieces of dodgeballs? Upper Deck needs to step it up. Well, listen, Upper Deck can't win, right? They're they're coming up with different things. And um, I mean, I don't I don't collect mascots, so I understand, but it is something different. And I like that they're I like that they're innovating, um, even though I know that I've seen a lot of people complain or just express their dissatisfaction. Uh, with those right there. Rage says, if we had the competition of brands from the 90s and early 2000s, these companies would be forced to make those top-tier quality squares of cardboard royalty we all know and love today. Yeah, competition is good for business, or good for the good for the market in general, for sure. Collectors World Fargo, uh, just some topics we're, we're talking about today. Collectors World wants to know what's bringing on this rant. Um, yeah, no, nothing. Just that I've, I've been talking offline with people about you know it all started for me people were saying what are you going to collect for Connor bedard are you going to collect his young guns his sp authentic are you going to collect his cup rpa and i said no i'm going to wait for his second year auto patches where the patches are game used that's uh, that's kind of what started it for me collectors world fargo rage says game worn or used period for me as well exactly rob sonier says if i have to ch- if i have to choose rookie jersey non-game used versus third year jersey game use i'll choose the rookie card non-game used all day long see i won't i'll pick a different rookie card there's so many rookie cards i'll pick a different rookie card besides one with with memorabilia that doesn't mean anything to me and then i'll and then i'll pick up uh, you know i'll pick up uh, a game use piece from later on triple v says been picking up older game used only combo relics even low-numbered stuff for a reasonable price. Ted Williams, Tris Speaker, Rogers Hornsby, and others. Yeah, I mean, that stuff's that stuff's going to run out, right? For sure. Mike Nanya, I collect cards, not stickers. Talking about sticker autos. Yeah, that's where I'm at now, too. Colin Murray, what's going on? Todd McDonald, good evening. Yeah, good to see you, Todd. Jeff Hart says, I think having a QR code or identification that you can get more info on the patch is a great idea. I agree with that, Jeff. I just don't know that they have the capacity to do that anymore. I don't know. I don't know. Ziggy No, welcome to the show. What's going on? The Essential Credential says they have their place in deep player collections. AI will probably, oh, sorry, Al will probably agree with me here as we have some really nice sticker auto designs to choose from. If the design complements the sticker, I'm in. Fair, fair comment, Matt. I mean, I have no problem with that. I'm going to draw the boundary there for myself, though. The professor is here. Good evening, professor. Greg Cohn from Leaf Trading Card says uh, 2024 will most likely be even more wild than 2023. He did correct that typo. Yeah. Okay, Greg. I'm. You know, that's been the that's been the pattern. So why not, right? He goes on to say, no summit this year, no mint collective. Who fills those gaps? Well, I mean, Fanatics Events is a, the new player on the scene. Perhaps they have something up their sleeve that we'll find out about soon. I don't know. Jeff Hart says, I think the events will bring a lot more to the table that card shows do now to attract new collectors. Yeah, very, very possible for sure. All right. So I think we've, I think we've exhausted the, uh, the game used versus game worn versus not associated with any player or event. So we've also now covered off sticker versus on card autos. Again, these are for me, I have found these to be really convenient places to, as as Leighton said, 
draw some boundaries and just not have to add those. There's enough guys. Like I look at, I look at online marketplaces all the time and uh, there are enough, there's enough cards that I want to add to my collection. Like just today, guys, just today, a buddy of mine puts a post in a group chat I'm in. He's like making these available. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I, I go, I want them. Spent an hour and a half on the phone with him coming up with a, making a deal. And we haven't solidified the deal yet. And he's being very patient with me, but I'm not really in a place where I want to be spending money on cards right now. I've got other financial obligations and uh, you know, of that, like I'll pick up the odd card. Sure. But we're talking, you know, four figures here. But then I think to myself, these opportunities don't always come up and I can probably make it happen. So there's always cards that I'm going to want to acquire. I think everybody watching feels the same way. So where do we draw the line? Where, where, where do you guys draw the line? I mean, if you just collect one player, it's different. So we have a lot of player collectors out there. If you only collect one player, you've drawn the boundary that is like your boundaries are huge. You've got a very small, small piece of the hobby that you actually are interested in collecting. And you've eliminated, you know, 99.99% of the, of the cards in the hobby more. You've eliminated more than that. You've eliminated almost 100% of the cards in the hobby. And, you know, minus a small, small fraction. So it's easier for, for you if you're a player collector to not have to draw the line and say, I'm good with sticker autos. I'm good with non-game use patches and those sorts of things. And, and I, I get that. That, that, makes, that makes good sense to me for sure. Diamond Dog here says, if the card makes you happy, the rules unwritten, hobby card rules can eat rocks. Yeah, if the card makes you happy, who cares? Uh, that, that's the number one rule right there. If you like, buy what you like, collect what you like. Number one rule. Everything else comes after that, for sure. When you like a lot, though, when you can't afford to buy what you like because you like too much, like me, that's where you got to draw the line. You, you have to have boundaries, for sure. So maybe boundaries override collect what you like. Because, or, or maybe maybe they override buy what you like because you can't afford to buy everything. Brendan Ryan says, it starts with throwing out the rookie card rules and ends praising unlicensed cards. Tread carefully, my man. I mean, listen, I just bought some unlicensed cards from a, from a, a one-off guy. A one-off guy who made these cards. He showed them to me at Expo and I just... I just ordered five of them from him because I think they look cool. That's it. You know, they're not expensive. So I'm not against unlicensed cards. Um, you know, we have Greg Cohn from Leaf Trading Cards in the chat right now. And, uh, you know, Leaf's done some really great things. And that Leaf has a an intense fault group of followers right now. There's this newish content creator out there who I've people are talking about. I've watched a few of his videos. Uh, C, what's his name? SVCC. And if he's, if he catches wind of this, I apologize that I don't remember the order of your initials or of your channel, but it's CABS or CSV or SVC, something like that. Those are the three letters. This guy, first of all, great YouTube channel, um, tells it like it is, you know, doesn't care, just tells it likes it like it is. He's very easy to watch. But in any event, he loves Leaf and Wildcard. He loves it. He's in it. He's in it. He's buying and selling, making money. And he loves it. He sees a lot of potential in those. So a lot of people are buying that stuff. 
I have no problem with uh, with unlicensed cards. Do I buy many? No, I don't buy many, but I support it. I think it's fine. Uh, Matthew in the house says, hey, folks, personally, the is it or is it not a rookie card isn't a particularly interesting conversation. What looks nicer? That's where I am. Yeah, I, I, I get that for me. I want the rookie card most of the time. And if not all the time, but if the rookie card isn't very nice, I might add a, a later card as well. But I definitely, if, if a player is going to be in my collection, I want I want their rookie card. Personally, uh, vintage. I'm talking vintage. I'm not talking ultra modern. I don't, I really am not interested in ultra modern rookie cards um, at all. I, I don't have many. I'll, I'll take an insert, a rookie year insert, but a rookie card doesn't, uh, doesn't do it for me anymore. Wildcard says, is game worn different than game used? I, I don't think so. Wildcard, I think they mean the exact same thing. I saw that comment earlier and I kind of just read it out. But to me, I think it's the exact same thing. If I'm wrong, somebody please let me know what I might be missing right there. Mark Santucci, welcome to the show. Uh, no, I do not have any 72 Summit set cards. Adam Crawford says, print run doesn't matter anymore. In the serial number era, they can print as much as they want. A one-on-one is even cooler. If there was a million base cards printed, yeah, I mean, it's anything that's mass produced, you're not going to find in my collection, modern wise. And even, even, well, yeah, vintage, I like, I don't mind. I mean, listen, if you want to have a Reggie Jackson rookie card in your collection, um, you ha- it's mass produced. So you have to, you have to accept that. Orlando says vintage slab era over 15 million cards in, yeah encapsulated this year junk slab era i i i think that makes sense to me uh a name for the uh for the era that we're in now but but does that then include all these inserts and parallels like what about the insert and parallel era or or the parallel era like the with panini with all the parallels something there maybe but i hear you orlando that that makes that makes sense to me uh, and by the way i liked your your uh post today with your like vintage garage. That was a really nice picture. Goes on to say grade to sell for me. Most of my collection is raw. So buying yeah, graded cards for selling. Diamond dog says that's one part about swimming in the shallow end of the cards. Lack the FOMO elements easier to maintain a budget. Yeah, definitely easier to maintain a budget there. Jeff Hart says, I sold every sticker auto I had owned on card only for me going forward. Yep. Fist bump right there on, on that for me as well. Um, but you're not some play, some, some athletes, some celebrities, you're not going to find on card autos. So a lot of stuff that Leaf does only comes with sticker autos. So then you just have to decide if you want the auto or not at that point. Orlando says the PSA nines for modern base cards are junk slab cards. Yeah, it depends on the gem rate, right? Really comes down to what the gem rate. Chrissy then says, but so are PSA 10s if they're mass printed. Yeah, I mean, if if, if there's 25,000 of a card, is that, uh, is that, is, is there something enticing about that anymore? I mean, if you love the card, then sure there is. Um, so to each their own when it comes to that stuff, for sure, for sure. Wow, you guys are on fire tonight. Well, welcome everybody to the show hey i always never hit that hit that like button subscribe to the channel if you haven't subscribed yet that'd be great that'd be great uh brendan rice's scv sports card that's it scv thank you brendan 
uh, for clarifying the the order. I knew the, I knew I had the letters. Um, yeah, it is. He's he's. Uh, I can watch that guy, no problem, for sure. He's 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 entertaining, and uh, he just tells it like it is, which which I I greatly appreciate. And he just doesn't care what anybody thinks about what what he does or says. Um, so good good on him. Good on him. I I heard him say that he's he's mature enough to understand how immature he is, but he's actually a pretty mature guy. He's interesting with a whiteboard. Yes. Triple B says, we all have silly hobby rules we stubbornly adhere to. I pick up bonehead Merkel cards for fun. Yeah. 